Hi, everyone, and welcome to the podcast today, where we'll be discussing GLI Global, the recently recommended race-neutral or race-composite equation for spirometry interpretation and its potential implications on care and health disparities and respiratory disease. I'm Henry Brems. I'm a fellow in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at Johns Hopkins University, and joining me today is Dr. Sonia Storjevic, who is an associate professor in the Department of Community Health and Epidemiology at Dalhousie University. Dr. Stanojevic is also the current chair of the ATS's Pulmonary Function Testing Committee, and she was one of the authors on the ATS statement on race and ethnicity and pulmonary function testing interpretation that was published earlier this year in the Blue Journal. So as mentioned, our goal today is to discuss some of the background that led to the recommendation of GLA Global and to consider how this change in reference equations may contribute to addressing health inequities. And so I know there's been a lot of debate in the past few years around the use of race and spirometry interpretation. In particular, there have been some concerns raised about whether race-based or race-neutral equations have the potential to sustain, contribute, or address health inequities between racial groups. Um, and obviously, I think as mentioned as well, much of the debate sort of recently culminated in that ATS recommendation to use um, race-neutral equations and specifically uh, GLI Global. And so before we're kind of getting into more of the details about GLI Global, um, can you just sort of provide us a bit more of the background that motivated the development of it? Sure. So um, for a long time, um, we've used reference equations to help us interpret lung function. The taller someone is, the bigger their lungs should be. And so we need a way to, to interpret results of measured lung volumes against what, what your lungs, how big your lungs should be for your height, age, and sex. And historically, we have observed differences in lung function between populations around the world. And, and historically, we, we considered those population differences as biological or innate. So we know that individuals living in Asia, their lung function compared to individuals living in Europe is lower. Similarly, Black Africans in, in the US, we've measured that lung function is lower. And so for a long time, we, we used race-specific or ethnic-specific equations because in the background, we said, well, they're all healthy. They're all non-smokers. They all don't have respiratory disease. And so if we observe these differences or we can measure these differences, then they can only be attributed to biological differences. We thought that they were attributed to differences in body proportions. So there's a perception that... African-Americans have longer legs. And so for the same standing height, their lung volumes are smaller. And so we would expect smaller lung volumes. For Asians, we've talked about the shape of their chests and they, they must have a different size shape chest. And that's why their lung function is different. And we've rarely looked at social determinants or unmeasurable things like air quality, early life nutrition, early life respiratory infections and things like that. And so really over the last 10 years where GLI has become the standard reference equation to interpret results with, we've had lots of feedback in, well, what do we do with racial groups that aren't represented? What do we do with people who have mixed ethnicities? And as more evidence was accumulating, well, are these really biological differences? Is it possible that the differences we observing are all explained by sitting height or standing height? And so our executive committee has been looking at the emerging evidence and really thinking about whether or not what was recommended or what was developed nearly 10 years ago really applies today and whether it's time for, for us to 
reinterpret that data against the evidence that that we've accumulated over the last 10 years. And so what is GLI Global and, and how was it developed? Okay. So, so GLI, and we, we everyone knows this acronym now, is actually the Global Lung Function Initiative. It's a network. Um, it's a network of people who um, love the lungs. So uh, physiologists, respirologists, data scientists, epidemiologists. And the idea really is that um, we should have a single reference equation for interpreting lung function test results. So it shouldn't matter whether you have your results interpreted in Baltimore or Halifax. If you have three liters of lung function, every doctor should interpret those results the same way, comparing it to the same standard. Um, and, and GLI evolved through collection and collation of existing data sources. So rather than going out and measuring lots of people, that was very expensive and logistically challenging to do, um, we looked at existing data sets and, and pooled them together. And so that's why it's called a global initiative because we've collated data from, from all over the world, although there are very specific populations that, that are missing and were omitted. Um, and GLI Global, we decided to, to, to reanalyze the data with this new lens of thinking about equity. Um, because prior to that, we had GLI White or Caucasian, GLI Black, GLI South, East Asian, and, and Northeast Asian. Um, and then we had a catch-all, a GLI Other. Um, and GLI Other came from uh, a reviewer comment, would you be surprised, that said, okay, so you have these four groups, what about the rest of the world? And so, so what we did at that point was, because we didn't know how to handle the fact that we didn't have data for everybody else, it was a mathematical average. So what that means is they took the equations and they said, okay, what's the middle point? What's the average of these four equations? And what, what was kind of underlying that is actually those equations are based on data, right? And that data was disproportionately collected in the vast majority in white people. So we had of the 75,000 people that were included in the GLI equations, about 80% were of white European ancestry. And so we wanted a way to one, verify that that last minute, let's add the equations together, actually represented the average of the, the real data that was there. And we also did inverse weighting so that we accounted for the fact that the vast majority of data was from white individuals. So we downweighted those white individuals and upweighted the other groups so that we had a more balanced sample. Now I say all of that, recognizing and, and really it's important to acknowledge that we could only analyze and produce equations for the data that we have. And so from Sub-Saharan Africa, we have zero data. From the Indian subcontinent, zero data. From Latin America, we had very few studies. And so pretty much the vast majority of the world's population was not included in those GLI data set or those equations. And so GLI Global still represent this average, but importantly, it's an average of the available data that we had to analyze. So just to kind of clarify, you know, what you know, what populations are, or who are the um, the individuals who kind of primarily were in the in the data set, and, and where did they come from? So, so listeners may not be surprised. We've been really good at measuring people of white European ancestry. So we have lots of data from Europe. So a variety of countries across Europe. 
Um, we have data from North America. So the NHANES data set from the US, both uh, several waves of the NHANES uh, cohorts are included in the GLI equations. And so, as I mentioned, about 80% of the data have come from either uh, Europe or North America. There are a couple uh, Latin American countries um, that were also included as well. Um, then we have a, a group of data from Black individuals. And again, these are Black individuals predominantly from those NHANES data sets. So um, whether or not those are generalizable to uh, Black individuals or individuals of African ancestry living all over the world is, is a whole nother question. Um, Africa itself is made up of 80 some countries and um, the Black individuals that were included from, from the American data set may not represent uh, all of Sub-Saharan Africa or the African continent. And there's some evidence that's been published showing that, that they don't match uh, populations very well. And then we had several data sets from, from Asia. And of course, Asia is a very diverse and, and dynamic uh, kind of continent. Um, and so we had some data from mainland China. We had data from Japan and Korea and, and Hong Kong, as well as from Thailand and, and um, some of the island nations. And so again, the Southeast Asian, Northeast Asian data are, are from a, a series of cohorts that were collected around Asia. Um, and we also know from, from a lot of those Asian data sets that there have been cohort effects. And so the data that we have represent a snapshot in time. And we see that those populations are evolving very quickly. And so, um, so it's not representative, certainly not of, of all of, uh, of Asia. And, and many people are aware that we have this very arbitrary, silly line about the, a, a river in, in Asia that separates the two. Um, and I think that it, it just highlights that not everybody from Asia is the same. And so we had, when we looked at the data, there was a, a group of studies from mainland China that looked more similar to one another than, than did some of the kind of Northern Chinese and, and uh, Japanese data. And so we, we had to create two equations because they were so distinct in, in what their lung function looked like. But again, now that we, we re-look at this data with a new lens, um, those differences probably reflect lots of unmeasurable socioeconomic environmental factors that, that we didn't or we weren't able to consider when the GLI were developed in 2012. Thank you. And so... One of the other questions, shifting a little bit, but still kind of trying to focus on on GLI Global and, and kind of what it means. Um, what, what will be the impacts of instituting GLI Global on percent predicted lung function estimates um, compared to the previous use of, of race specific equations? So the results will change and they will change for everybody. So rather than assuming that we know what ideal health is, rather than assuming that we're gaining precision by having race-specific equations, GLI Global acknowledges that people's lungs come in all shapes and sizes, and that we can't put people into these arbitrary racial or ethnic categories because there's more heterogeneity or variability in the lungs between groups or within groups and between groups. And, and we have to recognize this heterogeneity. We have to recognize that we only included people that were non-smokers and didn't have a doctor diagnosis of lung disease. So it's very likely that there are people with impaired lung function, white and black and Asian that are included in this healthy group. And so, so when you switch to GLI Global, 
the interpretation is certainly going to be different than, than the race specific. White individuals are going to look a little bit healthier. Black and Asian individuals are going to look a little bit sicker. Um, but I think what's important is that with this switch, we absolutely must also consider that we're increasing the uncertainty with our measurements. We can't say that we know for certain that somebody's lung function is normal or abnormal based on a single lung function test. We can look at the spectrum. So if somebody has lung function it's 120% predicted. It doesn't matter which of the equations you use. It doesn't matter if you use race specific or race neutral. That person's lung function is in the normal range. And, and it shouldn't matter whether they're 110 or 120% predicted. They're in that range that's compatible with other healthy individuals that have been included in these studies. Equally, if we measure somebody's lung function and it's 40% predicted, that's abnormal. That's impaired lung function, whether we're looking at um, FEV1 or FVC. Shouldn't matter which equation we use, we're going to come to that same conclusion that this person has significantly impaired lung function. Where it becomes challenging is in what we call the gray zone, in this borderline region where depending on which equation you use, your interpretation of normal or abnormal may differ. And what we're encouraging people to do is if you have somebody's lung function that sits in this gray zone or where the results interpretation will be very different, this is where we need to start thinking about the complexity of clinical judgments. That's an individual where if they're an elite athlete, maybe you're not going to worry about somebody's results that are borderline versus somebody with a significant pack history of smoking or who's coming to you because they have respiratory symptoms that aren't resolving. So we need to think about people in that gray zone and how we can augment lung function with maybe imaging, with maybe a repeat test, with maybe thinking about the clinical context. And I know that's not simple. And I know that doesn't give people a very clear answer of dichotomy as somebody normal or abnormal. But I think what we've learned in, in reevaluating the use of race-based equations, rethinking about the determinants of lung health is that we have no certainty about what normal should be or where that ideal level is. And if we embrace this uncertainty, we might actually get to an earlier diagnosis. We might get to the right diagnosis for an individual by using more than just that single lung function measurement to make those clinical decisions. I know with the workshop report and the, and the recommendation, um, you know, GLI Global was kind of what was recommended, but there were some other ideas for race neutral approaches or alternative approaches that were you know, considered by, by the working group. Um, so I was mentioning if you can kind of mention what were some of the other pertinent ones were considered and, you know, and what might be the advantages of, of GLI Global over some of these um, other approaches? Absolutely. So we should be transparent. The, the decision to use GLI Global or a single reference equation in everybody wasn't unanimous. And I think there's a lot of conversation about what's the right answer. Um, I can say that that in some instances, people recommended that uh, we should use white equations or GLI white or GLI Caucasian as the standard for everybody with the idea that <clears throat> if it's a social determinants, if it's our environmental exposures that are leading to these deficits in the non-white group, then we should use the highest possible levels of lung function to compare with. And I think what our committee uh, thought about and, and what I certainly think is that there's nothing about white lungs that makes them better or superior. Um, I think what this is teaching us is that we have a lot more heterogeneity in lung health. 
there are white people who are included in the GLI data set that maybe have impairment or, or maybe disadvantaged, but are labeled and healthy. And certainly we know that, that those social, socioeconomic and environmental factors disproportionately affect certain populations. Um, but I don't think we have the evidence, nor should we say that just because the white European population had the highest level of lung function, that we should compare everybody to, to that group. Um, we also debated and discussed uh, completely race-neutral approaches, so throwing reference equations away. So if we, if we think about reference equations, we compare to an individual who's healthy and is the same height, age, sex as you are, but actually what's really important, what's kind of more critical to our interpretation is how far you are from the bottom. So how low is your lung function? Is that compatible with life? And there's some research that's been published about an outcome called FEV1Q, and this looks at how far you are from, from the lowest level that's sustainable with life. And there was a nice abstract at um, ATS that showed when, when you look at that lower level, we don't see those ethnic or racial differences uh, between populations. So that might be another approach to look at. And the other piece that I will share is that um, the vast majority of our clinical decisions are based on the ratio of FEV1 to FVC as a starting point. And what we see both in GLI equations, but across lots of studies is that that ratio is, is somewhat race agnostic or, or the ratio because the FEV1 and the FVC seem to be proportionately reduced um, in, in individuals that if we're looking at the ratio, then, then that decision of using a race specific or race neutral equation doesn't, doesn't factor as much, doesn't make as much of a difference. So if we're using the ratio, we're kind of shielded from that. And, and at least for defining airflow obstruction, um, we can do that using the ratio and, and not focusing on which reference equation is chosen because you're gonna get very similar lower limits of normal based on those equations. Where it absolutely matters is if we use a measure of FEV1 to decide employment, a measure of FVC to decide if somebody should get reimbursed for a medicine. Those are the types of decisions where it will matter where you draw that line and which cutoff you use. And those are the decisions that I think we urgently need to reconsider. How will GLI global you know, benefit patients or, or and alternatively, what are the, the limitations or, or, or are there risks to, to patients in some of these, you know, in some of these ways that we, we, we use spirometry? I think there's two ways. So yeah. I think if, if we switch to GLI global and we really embrace that uncertainty and we start looking more holistically at the spectrum of lung function value, so not just whether or not you're above or below a, a certain level to call you normal or abnormal. If we look at where someone is along that spectrum, I think there'll be a benefit to patients because we'll start to consider where someone potentially could be, should be, and where they are, how that level of lung function correlates with their symptoms and their medical history, and for individuals who are in that zone of uncertainty, I think that getting additional information, like I said, whether it's imaging or, or correlating with medical history and symptoms, I think individuals will have um, a much deeper understanding of their lung health and will we'll come to that right diagnosis um, using a, a plethora of data and not just that single measure of lung function. I think certainly there's opportunity for harm. If we switch to GLI global and we don't revisit all of those decisions that are made based on, on arbitrary cut points. So if we switch to GLI global 
and, and we continue to use 80% predicted as a cutoff for employment, or we use 30% predicted as our cutoff for transplant referral. And these examples are, are everywhere in terms of IPF drugs and, and, um, and whether or not you qualify for disability. And so if we don't consider those specific cutoffs, um, people who may have been eligible before may not be eligible today. People who are on the border of being eligible may be denied when, when they really need these treatments or services. And so I really couldn't stress more that we need to revisit how we use these measures of lung function. And switching equations is only one piece of the pathway to, to being more equitable in how we deliver care, how we access services. Um, we've heard about patients shopping around. So this happened long before this debate. This happened long before GLI. Um, if you have your lung function tested on one side of the street in hospital A, you're eligible for, for that job. And if you cross over the street, they use a different set of equations and you're no longer eligible. And so go to hospital A because you're going to get higher results. And, and, and we have to, that, that, that's not right. That's not how lung function should be used or interpreted. And so we need to standardize and we need to start removing these fixed cutoffs and decision-making points um, and being much more holistic in how we use measures of lung function and interpretation of lung function um, to represent what that means for that patient and not where, where someone sits against these arbitrary cut points. Absolutely. And so I, mean, I think that kind of gets into my, my next question, which I think I think that you sort of answered it here already. But, you know, thinking about, you know, are there specific applications where, where we need to be cautious with its use? And it sounds like from what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's particularly with these with these percent predicted cutoffs that we have for diagnostic criteria for um, for interventions that rely particularly on, you know, on FEV1 or, or FEC um, percent predicted uh, thresholds or, you know, or where we probably need to be cautious and sort of you know put it in the, in, the, in the clinical context and consider how we use it carefully. And I know hearing you say it back, I know what people are thinking, but the guidelines say, but it's written in certain laws and it's it's there and we've been using it and we're so used to to making decisions. But I think when when I talk to people and when we we really dig down at, at what's going on, most people intuitively appreciate that a measure of lung function is only one piece of the information. Most people, when they're using lung function to make clinical decisions, are taking all of those pieces into account. And it's oftentimes decisions that happen outside of that clinical encounter, where we may not even know that, that what's being measured is going to influence how much disability somebody gets how much life insurance they pay for. And so as a community, I think we have to be communicating outside of our, our little silos and our working groups to, to understand um, what's happening out there to, to individuals and how these results may be impacting what, what happens to them outside of the clinic. Um, and so I wanted to sh shift a little bit to kind of you know ask about what do we think, or I mean, maybe we don't know, but what are your thoughts on what some of the ways in which GLI Global might affect racial disparities in respiratory you know, disease are. I mean, will we see overdiagnosis, underdiagnosis? Will we see over eligibility, under eligibility for treatments, or, or what are your thoughts on on that? Um, that's the, that's a really tricky question because um, as as papers are being published looking at that very question and how much impact will it make and what impact will it have. It goes in every direction you could possibly imagine. And so um, depending on what those criteria for, for eligibility or treatments was previously, 
um, what we see is that, you know, all racial and ethnic groups are getting recalibrated. But I do think we now have a single equation where it doesn't matter what racial or ethnic group you are. All of those groups that weren't included before, you don't have to have that conversation of which box do you fit into and okay, you're other and what does that mean? I think that it forces us to think more holistically about all of the information for, for a particular individual. Um, and, and it removes this assumption that we know what ideal health looks like. It removes this assumption that we have certainty with which we're interpreting results. Um, and, and it allows us to, to think about that spectrum of values and where someone falls and, and to start using additional pieces of information. Um, a colleague of mine, uh, when he presents, he shared this with me. Lung function isn't the same thing as a pregnancy test. We don't have that certainty of you absolutely have lung disease and you don't. There are number, number, numerous studies that show people with normal lung function have significant respiratory symptom burden, have lung damage uh, that you can see on CT, emphysema, air trapping, just because you're in the normal range doesn't mean that you don't have lung disease. Um, we only know that the lower your lung function is, the greater certainty we have to know that you have lung function impairment. Um, and we need to embrace this idea that you know, people can have lung disease even if they fall in the normal range. And you know, we're just changing that definition in terms of, of the, the range of values that we consider as, as normal or healthy. Um, and just to kind of, you know, touch on uh, a few you know, sp specific ways in, in which we manage, and I, I've seen concerns or, or read about concerns that there may be a, uh, issues with, or changes, I should say, in eligibility for disability benefits, um, employment, um, surgery for lung cancer. Uh, those have been kind of the, the, some, some of the biggest ones. So um, I mean, can you give us a little detail about, you know, what what would the impact be of, of GLI Global on these? And then um, kind of how do we respond to these concerns or, or, or how do we how do we think about this? Um, I, I, it's really difficult to give you the yeah. exact answer yeah. for each person for each of those scenarios, because in some instances, like in employment, um, people who are who are not of white European ancestry might now be disqualified from certain employments because their lung function is going to look worse than it would have had been if, if they use race specific equations. In other instances, like disability benefits, they may get more benefits because now they're going to look worse than than they would have before. And so um, it also depends on on their which box was checked. So if somebody is of, of mixed ancestry, so somebody who maybe um, has white ancestry, white European ancestry and, and African ancestry, well, if previously they checked the black box and or the technician who did their tests checked the black box and now they check the white box or the other box, then again, for that individual, the, the differences might be different based on what was assumed before. Um, and I think that, you know, that in itself, the fact that that it's not a simple answer, that it doesn't always go in the same direction, highlights how challenging it was to, to put people into these arbitrary boxes or how so many of these decisions were so closely tied to the single measure of lung function and how we interpret it against this kind of definition of health, which now we know isn't really encompassing of all lung health anyways. 
And so again, I would encourage us to advocate for changes to these criteria and to advocate for your patients that if, if there happen to be around the borderline of some of these criteria, that's where we need to, to demonstrate that we have other piece of, pieces of information that would suggest a, a clinical course of action or, or an ability to, um, to, to do the right thing for that patient that they're treating rather than relying on, on arbitrary cut points. And I can see, the audience can't see Henry's face, but I can see your face. And I know that's not the answer that you're looking for, but I think it, it's, it really is complex. And, and I would encourage people to think about embracing that complexity rather than looking for, for a simple solution or something that's going to work for everybody. I think that answer was perfect. I mean, I, I completely agree. You know, I think I, I thought about this in terms of employment that, Maybe some people who are now ineligible for employment, but it's possible for some of them that perhaps we were, we were putting them at too high of an occupational risk than you know than we otherwise would have under the old race specific system. Um, but as you mentioned, I th I think this uh, it's that's just an inherent limitation to the system that we use where, where we use these percent predicted cutoffs. Um, but I think that's kind of gets to my next question, Hiv, um, which I think we touched on a bit, but. You know, some of these limitations with GLI Global just seem not inherent to the equation itself, but more to the system of using percent predicted metrics and, and strict cutoffs. So what, what do we need to be reconsidering going forward and, and how we either how we use spirometry, you know, metrics or, or how we apply um, these, these values? So Henry, I've been developing reference equations and thinking about healthy for, for, for a little bit of a little bit of time, I won't tell you how long, um, far too long. Um, and really, I'm questioning exactly that. How do we know what healthy is? How can we assume that healthy is based on this handful of variables that when when people decided on excluding smokers, excluding people from res with respiratory disease, that was progressive in the 1980s. Because before that, we had reference equations that included smokers and included people with lung disease. So I think it's time for us to rethink what we're calling healthy. But I also think that, you know, yes, there's value to looking at how tall someone is and how old somebody is and whether they're male or female. We know those are all things that influence how big your lungs should be. But what's more critical, I think, is that we need to anchor our interpretation to clinically relevant endpoints. How likely is somebody with an 80% predicted lung function to, to be hospitalized for an acute respiratory event? How likely is it that somebody who has 80% predicted and is a smoker is going to be hospitalized for that event? And I think we need to start thinking about anchoring to clinically meaningful endpoints. And I should add patient important endpoints. So not just whether or not they end up in hospital and um, or the emergency room or they need a certain medication in the next two, three years, but also how a patient feels, functions, and survives. And so we need to look at patient-reported outcomes and start anchoring our interpretation, not to where someone is relative to the healthy range, but where someone is relative to these endpoints that are far more important. And, and then if you're near that zone of uncertainty, or even if you're in the normal range, and you might have other factors that are, that are contributing to your overall lung health, those should be considered as well. And we need to, to calibrate against things that matter to people, things that matter to, to their prognosis and their eventual progression of lung disease. And then, and then I think we can be coming to more equitable solutions. Um, I think 
finding the perfect ideal reference equation. We're going to be searching that for the next 50, 100 years. And I don't think one exists. I think that our lung health keeps improving or with climate change and, and deteriorating air quality actually is now deteriorating. And so, so I think constantly searching for this ideal healthy population and comparing solely on reference equations is probably not what we should be doing. And, and I would encourage others to be creative and to think about how we might how we might come up with a new way of using lung function measurements because they're really important. They're, they're very strongly correlated with important outcomes like mortality and respiratory morbidity. But how we use them today, I think needs a, a rethink, a rebrand, and, and we need to be a little bit more holistic and, and focused on what matters most to people and people living with lung disease. I think that's really well said, and I, you know, I certainly look forward to kind of seeing where the where the field evolves in this in this arena over the um, over the years. Um, as a final question, just to kind of get your you know your closing thoughts on this, and, and to hit on the issue of of equity again, you know, it currently you know if these recommendations to use GLI Global are are sort of adopted, what work do you think remains you know within that context to sort of ensure the promotion of health equity and equitable use of, of reference equations in order to guide patient patient care? Um, I think you alluded to this a little bit earlier. This is so much bigger than just which reference equation. We have equity issues in terms of access to testing, access to um, uh, healthcare professionals that can interpret those tests and then and then make clinical decisions. So I think we need to not only improve access to testing, but also improving access to, to respiratory health professionals. I think we need to think about the individual in front of us. Um, and, and we debated this on our committee, I'm not saying you should ask someone how much they earn and, and factor in their socioeconomic status from that perspective. But I think we need to be more realistic about the environment that people live in, their potential exposures across the life course and, and what other factors might be important. Um, you know, we ask, are you a smoker? Do you have respiratory symptoms? We need to be more inclusive. You know, what's the air quality like in, in your home, in your office space? Where do you live and, and how, you know, things like, I don't know how we're going to ask these questions, but we need to be more holistic about what we ask about because there's so many things that influence our lung health and focusing only on smoking is a disservice to all those people that that have lung problems, that have impairments in their lung function, but are non-smokers. And we immediately put them on a different trajectory and, and we're probably underestimating lung disease, grossly underestimating lung disease. And so I encourage people to think about you know, the multitude of factors that might influence lung health and to listen to our patients and to listen to the symptoms and the burden that they're telling us about. Because I think if we're more holistic, we're actually going to find that that we've probably been underestimating lung disease in those people that would benefit the most from policies and prevention and and, and treatments that, that could help to improve their their quality of life and their probability of developing lung disease later on. Absolutely. Well, well, great. Thank you, man. I think that concludes our, our podcast. And, and thank you very much to uh, Dr. Stanojevich for joining us today for a fantastic discussion on GLA Global and how it relates to equity and respiratory disease. I also want to thank the Behavioral Sciences and Health Services Research Assembly for helping to develop this podcast. And of course, thank you to everyone for listening.